G'day folks and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, the program where every week or so we look at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. I'm Steve Fisher over here and over there is Grant McCarran. G'day Grant, how are you? Hey, not too bad mate, it's not too bad over here and uh, how's it doing over there? Well, well, another exciting day of work on the railways mate, so you know, my life is fulfilled for another day. <laughs> That good, huh? Well, I don't know about that, but better than that, mate, here we are doing the podcast again tonight, and uh, we're going to do another in-profile episode tonight. We've had another yeah. really uh, interesting interview this week, Grant, with a uh, local identity up there at Bankstown Airport up in Sydney. That's right. We've been getting lots of pretty good feedback uh, from people about when we do our, uh, our discussions, our profiles, and our special feature episodes, as well as our usual uh, opinionated news reviews. So, uh, yeah, we're doing what we can to get as much information and uh, content for you that you, we think you might like. And this is definitely one of them. And uh, as you're saying, a, a local identity up in Bankstown, that's right, it's Joel Haskey, who's the owner of Red Baron and Sydney Aerobatics up in uh, Sydney. Uh, he runs a few very distinctively painted aircraft up there, uh, taking people for aerobatic flights around Sydney and uh, general uh, crowd-pleasing flights over the, over the Sydney Bay area. So uh, a lot of fun interviewing Joel. Uh, he's a pretty cool guy and uh, seems like he really loves his flying. Yeah, we recorded this one with Joel earlier during the week. Uh, we had hoped to do a, a good Skype uh, recording, but uh, we had some issues with that. So we ended up speaking to Joel. I think it was on his iPhone, wasn't it, Grant? And he, uh, the audio quality is still quite good, so I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, no, it came through pretty well. I'm pretty, I'm happy with it, and it, it works well. My never-ending quest for audio perfection. One of these days, I'll get it right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, perfection can never be attained, but you know that doesn't stop us from trying. Yeah, so as has been the usual format with our in-profile episodes, Grant, we uh, discuss how Joel uh, started his journey through aviation and um, where he came from and how he got into it, yeah, how he sort of progressed through to where he is today. So uh, let's, uh, let's hop into it without any further delay, I think. Sounds great. Let's go for it. Let's go. Joel, how are you going? Hey guys, I'm well. How are you? Yeah, we're doing pretty well here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to having a chat with you. We've uh, been trying to tee this one up for a while and just a matter of everyone's schedules aligning and tonight's the night. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to having a good chat, mate. Yeah, it's all good. I'm, I've been looking forward to it for a while. Cool. Now, Joel, let's let's kick off by, um, let's have a chat about uh, your aviation history for yourself. How did you get involved in aviation? Where have you come from in the aviation world? Okay, um, I, I'm GA all the way, basically. I sort of got bitten by the bug when I was uh, when I was quite young. My, my father and my uncle were both enthusiasts, but they, weren't, they, they didn't actually have pilot's licenses. I think my uncle actually did a bit of training, but found that his propensity to motion sickness sort of got in the way a bit, so uh, he didn't pursue it too, too far, but we, we went to plenty of air shows, and I built model planes, and my dad built remote-controlled aircraft and what have you, so they kind of cool. got the bug into me, and as soon as I was old enough, I, I actually started doing a paper run when I was 14 and worked at Taronga Zoo doing stuff and saved a bit of money and managed to... Um, for a gliding course when I was just shy of 17 out at uh, Camden and that really got me hooked and uh, did a bit of aerobatics in the gliders as well. Yep. Um, didn't quite go solo. I was one flight off going solo and my money and time ran out at 
same time. So um, I, I didn't actually uh, go back and, and uh, finish it off, but it kind of really got me into it. And kind of, I had one more year of school to go, I think. And that kind of got me thinking, well, maybe I could do something in flying as a career. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of where it all started. I then kind of, uh, I finished school. My parents kind of wanted me to get a uni degree. So I enrolled in the second year of the or it was the second time it was being run, the, the science degree in aviation at Newcastle Uni, which oh, cool. um, I, don't think it, I don't think is running anymore. So I went up there to start flying at Cessnock. They were doing the training at Cessnock Airport, but you were doing a, a sort of science degree in aviation at the same time up at Newcastle Uni, which is kind of a, a recipe for disaster for me, I guess, in, <laughs> in, in, in some respects. I kind of got, got out of home, got out of Sydney, ended up in Newcastle, and I was living with a mate who was already in, I think, third year uni or second year. No, I think <laughs> second year. And so I kind of went a little bit off the rails in that first year and um, didn't apply myself to my studies probably as hard as I should have. Um, the practical side of the flying was going fine because I really, that's that's kind of what I wanted to do. But the, the actual uni studies maybe got a little bit away from me. <laughs> and so I, I kind of dropped out after first semester and uh, came back to Sydney and it was actually, I think it was just after the Richmond Air Show in 91. Okay, yeah. Um, and I think that was the 75th anniversary air show. Yeah, it was a big one then. Yeah, while I, while I was at that air show, I met some guys from Sydney Aerobatic and um, saw the aircraft, you know, and this is kind of what I really, this is, that was my sort of image of aviation and, and flying and that's, kind of what I wanted it to be and I was up at Cessna flying a Cessna 152 and well I had a really good instructor and very enthusiastic and you know when I said oh can we you know loop and roll the aerobat he was more than willing to do some of that <laughs> um, but uh, it kind of uh, you know I, I, I never got into it to get into the airlines I kind of really uh, I don't know I, I, I don't think I had a plan at that stage as to what I wanted to do but I certainly you know, knew I wanted to, to really explore that third dimension. Yeah, you and, heard the um, calling. Yeah, yeah. And when I finally dropped out of uni and got back down to Sydney, I enrolled at uh, Sydney Aerobatics and the rest is history. I kind of made that place my second home, I think, for, for the next few years, um, or longer actually. And uh, before too long, I was fully into aerobatics and, you know, <laughs> I, I was working... Uh, towards my commercial, but all along the way, I was also doing sort of more advanced aerobatics along the way. So um, it just sort of really sunk in. I started working for Noel Cruz, who um, yep. who owned the school, and he, uh, you know, there, there was always a job there for people who who wanted to sort of work in the hangar or you know work on the desk on the weekends and stuff like that. So I kind of started off, you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks doing that sort of thing uh, to the point where I ended up working full-time for him well before I got my commercial, just either on the desk or in the hangar or wherever I could find a place for myself, I'd, uh, I'd do the job. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, finally when I got my commercial, he, he had just bought uh, the Red Baron off David Voigt. And okay. uh, David Voigt started the Red Baron in around about the same time Noel Cruz started Sydney Aerobatics, which is around about 1983. And it was now 1994. And I just 
completed my commercial at Sydney Aerobatics and I'd been sort of, Dave, David had been flying the, the, the school's pit special instead of his Tiger Moth for about a year and a half because the Tiger got a little bit long in the tooth and, you know, yeah. spent more, more time, you know, cleaning spark plugs on it, I think, and he did flying it. So Yeah, I remember it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, got sort of uh, unviable as a commercial aircraft. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he started operating uh, Noel's pits, and so I was there every weekend, you know, helping out, cleaning the oil off and top, topping up the fuel. That kind of got me sort of interested in, in uh, maybe sort of doing that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, you know, as luck would happen, um, Noel bought the Red Baron off David just around the time I got my commercial, and uh, so Noel turned around and said, well, I can... I'm going to expand Red Baron a bit. I can give you a bit of work. So I hung around and cool. uh, and it kind of worked out really well. I ended up being paid to fly the Marchetti SF260 that, that we had there, which was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, very nice. And that was my actually, actually, that was my first commercial flight. I, uh, I got to fly a couple of American tourists over Sydney Harbour in the Marchetti and, uh, uh, I, I was so nervous, and I remember this couple, and uh, I don't think I hardly said a word to them as, as I as I got in there and out and all around, and you know maybe grunted the odd sort of landmark or whatever, <laughs> and uh, and got them back to Bankstown, and then they sort of walked out the door, and I breathed a huge sigh of relief and went right. I got through that one. Now I can get on with the rest of my career. I think. And, <laughs> um, yeah, it felt, felt pretty good. So you were well and truly addicted to the good old vitamin G by then? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the aerobatics, just uh, it kept you learning. It didn't matter how much you did. You, yep. you could always get better, and then there was the next sort of level of performance aircraft, and I sort of idolized the pits at the time. And, uh, I, in fact, when I got, got my commercial, I still still wasn't flying the pits and um, and it took another probably three or four months I think after I got my commercial before I was I was flying the pits and then started doing the, the pits work in, in earnest and uh, yeah it was kind of the reaching of a of, of something that you thought was unreachable um, <laughs> especially when you you know when you start flying uh, at the school and there's all these guys they you know jump in the pits and go off and come back and you're thinking oh man you know one day I really want to do that and you, you know you never think that you know a few years later it seems so far away but you end up getting paid to fly. It, was, <laughs> it always strikes me that most biologists will have a look at, at aerobatics at some point and you either fall in love with it straight away or it scares you off for good and you never go back. It never strikes me as being any middle ground. Yeah, I th- uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think my experience of it over the years. As, as doing it and also, sh- you know, sharing it with other people. I mean, I think I've probably flown, you know, well over, you know, four or 5,000 people and done aerobatics with them. And oh, maybe oh, maybe that's uh, an exaggeration. No, probably at least 4,000 people. Maybe. <laughs> um, you, you certainly get to get a feel for what people are like and how they're going to react to it. And you, yeah. You quite often get surprised by people, both positively and negatively. Like, um, <laughs> you know, a classic example today, I, I, was, I was sitting in my office waiting for passengers to turn up and I heard them come in talking to, to the desco and the, 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 the husband had been given this flight for his 60th birthday and so he'd gone and bought another flight for his wife as a oh, kid. Oh, cool. Wow. To, so that they could do it together and, and go and, 
uh, you know, for a formation ride. Oh, cool. And, um, and they walked in and she goes, you're joking. I'm not getting in that thing, you know. And I can hear <laughs> the conversation through, you know, and and I'm just like, oh, okay, this is going to be a fun one. I'm going to get the, the really nervous uh, lady who, you know, just doesn't want to fly and all of this stuff. And she was genuinely like that. We got her strapped in and, and she's like, oh, I don't know about this and everything. <laughs> And um, we got to, went over the harbour and she seemed to be enjoying it. By the time we got to Long Reef and, and did a, a loop and a roll, she was loving it. And um, we were actually flying back and she said, oh, I would have liked to have done some more of those loops and rolls. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm really sorry, we, could, we ran out of time. Bummer. And, uh, and it, and she got back on the ground. She's like, "I forgive you, you know." That's <laughs> Thanks very much. And meanwhile, he's the one going. Oh, I'm feeling a little bit funny after that. You know? <laughs> so it was it was kind of a, a, a complete turnaround. And they're they you know for me now they're my favourite flights where where I can actually give someone a, a an experience that they that they didn't expect and that and yep. they react differently to it. Yeah, and um, it's those complete turnarounds. Yeah. And then you get the guy who's got, you know, a couple of thousand hours and flies, you know, airliners or, you know, charter, whatever, but just hates going beyond 30 degrees bank or, you know, just, yeah. you know, really genuinely doesn't get it or doesn't like it or whatever. And they just, you know, they've been given it as a gift, but, you know, this is something that they're, they're forcing themselves to do and... They just really don't enjoy it from start to finish, and and that's it. You know, they can't wait to get out of the aeroplane, and they can't wait to go. And it's you, you know, you can't pick it. You don't know who's who's going to react uh, what way. Yeah, yeah. It's just that. Oh my God, this is so unnatural. Oh, you can't do this in an aircraft. No, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's that, and sometimes it's like they put up their these own bar their own barriers, and yeah. regardless of whether you know you you want to take them beyond what they think is is normal and safely and then and let them experience it and do it themselves sometimes. I mean, we, we do the hands-on flights as well where people get to fly the aeroplane themselves and do the aerobatics. And we obviously we teach it as well, but you'd be surprised what limitations people put on themselves with aeroplanes and, and mind is its own worst enemy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'd, uh, mm. I'd never been flying before I got my licence. I was terrified of flying right up until I was 17. Actually, the first flight I ever made was my first trip overseas, and I remember sitting on the tarmac thinking, well, you know, it's a heck of a long way to swim to America, so I guess I'll put up with this. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'll tell you what, we, we went down the runway. It was a Air New Zealand 747. I'll never forget it. We got about probably 200 feet in the air, and that was it. I was hooked. I think, what was I ever terrified of? <laughs> yeah. and uh, three years later I had a commercial license so there you go well, I know I, I put my son through um, a few of the uh, rides down at Luna Park and things like that and told him that it was training for when he went aerobatics and uh, yeah he just had his first ride a few weeks ago he went up with Andrew Temby and the Yak and uh, got got to do four and a half minus one and a half and have some fun and uh, yeah he uh, popped the canopy in my first first you know I said to him how is that and his first words were you're right dad life is better inverted <laughs> <laughs> 
So he's well uh, and truly. That's cool. Yeah, no, it's it's great when you when you get to see that person's excitement and adventure. I mean, like in a totally different level of aviation. I, I, I crew hot air balloons, and it's not uncommon to see people all really nervous before they take off. They're standing in the basket, ready to go, and you know you get a few who are like, "Oh, I'm afraid of heights," and all this kind of stuff, and they're they're looking kind of nervous, and they're all really eager and oh, and then you see them on the other end, and they're just totally happy and big smiles and loved it. Can't wait to do it again. Just got to save the money, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Oh, yep. Oh, they've heard about us. Sounds like the laws after. Yeah. You, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The pe- people don't know what they don't know. And yeah. Until until they get into it. I was thinking of that course, Joel, up at Cessnock there. I, I remember applying for a similar course around about that time. It must have been about 1990, and it was uh, what put me off. Well, actually, what put my father off, and we ended up talking about it and not doing it. But at the time, it was like $35,000 to do the course, and uh, there was no guarantee. There, there was some talk that they had some sort of uh, alliance with ANSET, but as it turns out, they didn't, and a lot of people were going up there. And I guess this wouldn't have been the university course, but it was. I know it was at Cessnock. Did you know anything about that one? Yeah, there were a couple of flying schools up there. There was Civil Air Training Academy, also known as CADA, and there was another school. I'm just trying to remember what it was called. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, in the uh, there was no guarantees of jobs. The Civil Air Training Academy was associated, I think, with Qantas through one of its principals. But again, it, there were no guarantees. And yes, the course was expensive. But you know, I, I guess it's it's all relative. But uh, yeah, most of the most of the guys that I remember who who went through at the same time I did. We we all got jobs in the industry. I don't know too many of them that didn't uh, or of the ones that I sort of every now and then kept in touch with and got the got the updates on where people were and what have you. In fact, one guy who, who was on course with me is now a captain for Jetstar. So, cool. you know, uh, back, back in, in that time and, and my attitude always was, well, um, I'll always find a job because I'll always look, if you know what I mean. And I'm, yeah, I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not too worried about starting at the bottom and, and working my way up. And I think you, I think you've got to have that kind of attitude in today and just be willing to you start gotta, where someone will give you a break and, yeah. and just go for it. You've got to and pick up the scraps sometimes. At the end of the day, the, yeah. the experience um, that you that you gain as a pilot counts for more, I think, than the uni degree at the end of the day. Um, yeah. You know, you can you can you can have all the degrees in the world, but if you don't have your bum in the seat and flying the aeroplane, it's pretty hard to get a job and, and get that experience level that, that most employers want. Well, you're theoretical versus practical. You you you've come out of the ivory tower, but you're still in there. You you don't you know all these ideas and theories, but you you haven't shown that you can apply them and things like that. And I know in the IT world, I'm I'm similar. If I've got two people of um, you know, one's got a degree and one's got real-world experience. But, you know, you'll go with the experience every time if they're relatively equal otherwise. Absolutely. And um, and now I'm sort of, the shoe's on the other foot. I'm an employer. <laughs> and, um, and I get guys come to me with little or no experience and um, and I get guys with a lot of experience and they, they, you know, come through my door and ask for work. I'll always give someone a go, even if they've got no experience, if they've got the right attitude. You know, I've I've given a couple of pilots a, a go and, you know, some have worked, some haven't, but you've just got to have the right attitude and the, the willingness to start somewhere and start at the bottom and work your way up. And, uh, you know, you don't need to be a thousand-hour pilot with, um, you know, instrument rating and instructor ratings and what have you to, 
the fly pit special over Sydney Harbour. You've just yeah. got to have an enthusiasm for the job and want to do this kind of flying, and it's good fun. Yeah, but it pays terribly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's aviation, mate. It's not until you're a you know four striper flying long haul on the seven uh, four or the A three eighty with Qantas that you start getting the really big money, and then yeah. you've you've paid a heck of a lot in terms of you know what you've invested in time and time effort and um, probably your personal life as well, like your family, mm. to get to that point. So it's you're not really in it for the money if you're in aviation. No. And if you stay in GA, you're definitely not in it. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll die happy. That's what I reckon. I mean, uh, I often wonder what what would have been if I'd uh, if I'd stayed with GA, and you know, I, I ended up walking away from it back in the mid '90s. And I, you know, I look back now, sort of 15 years on, I kind of regret that. Really, you know, I wish I hadn't have. In a, in a lot of ways, although the job I've got now is a lot, you know, it certainly pays better and it's it's infinitely more secure, but it's not nearly as much fun. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, it's one of my pets hates about the whole industry is that um, is that we, ca- we can't make it pay better quite often because we've got so many competing issues that, that need attention that you can't ignore. Um, obviously, compliance and maintenance and things yep. like that ha- have to take priority. And then, you know, there, there's very little left at the end. So, you know, you, you quite often have to find ways to, to keep people interested. And, and I, I guess I'm lucky in that the aerobatics keeps a lot of my guys there long term. And so I do have reasonably good uh, retention of pilots. But the, um, the the rest of the industry, the rest of GA just gets used as a poaching ground for for the uh, airlines or for the for the next sort of rung on the on the ladder. And I, I watch a lot of the other flying schools. The faces change regularly and the voices change on the radio regularly because you know as soon as the next best job comes along, they're out of there. You know, yeah. they're they're not in it because they love it. They're in it because it's the only job they can get till they move up the up yep. the chain. They're building the time. Uh, exactly, exactly. And it's it's unfortunate. And especially with the instructing side of things, that's that's kind of one thing that I think the industry needs to change its focus on. Where we've got the least experience training the next least yep. experience yep. instead of having the, the most experience training the next generation of pilots and um, you know until we can change that focus and and make uh, instructing a, a, a well-paid career choice then I think the the industry is doomed to just be a, a, a sort of cycle for the airlines to get you know guys up to the next level get enough hours to satisfy them to uh, to take take them on as a as an employee rather than putting back into the industry and training guys to be better pilots yeah, I think too, and it's always been a bugbear of mine, particularly at times now, we're not seeing it at the moment, but you know, a couple of years back we were seeing you know, a big shortage in the airlines of uh, pilots and they were madly looking for pilots everywhere. But one of the shortcomings of the industry in times like that is there's still the expectation that you have to go out and spend a huge amount of money to basically buy yourself a job. If I was to contrast that with the job I've got where there was a huge shortage of train drivers, well, they recruited, they paid me to learn it. And you end up in a pretty well-paying job at the end of it. But that is that is kind of shifting. If just before the the current collapse, you were seeing it coming up with the MPL and some of the uh, the cadet ships. Uh, I know Qantas did them again back in the early '90s. They had the Qantas cadet ship in the training out at BAE, or I, I 
it was out at Parafield in Adelaide where they were training, but uh, they were doing it again recently with the whole MPL and it was, you would pony up the money, but you also got, there was a sort of sponsorship. You could get a scholarship and so on. And once they'd trained you, like Rex is doing it at the moment, you get through, you've you've got five years to pay off the training. Otherwise, you've got to pay up some money if you leave early. But it's it's a shift in how the how it all works. They're, instead of you going out and doing your druthers and you know going and mustering or flying, flying tourists around Lake Air and things like that, you actually wind up going in it's almost like the air force like we've spoken in the last few episodes where you go in you've been selected you've gone through a lot of psych tests and and personality checks they've made sure you're the kind of person they want and they're willing to help invest in you and you come out the other side and go straight into the airline Um, with the mpl you've done it all in the sim and and away you go so if that changes then suddenly you don't have the whole cookie mill of uh, your fresh graduates become the um, instructors training the new recruits Mm. and and we're probably sidetracking a little bit from what we're talking to joel about but yeah that's always been a (laughs) bit of a bugbear of mine but anyway uh, joel Joel, (laughs) why don't you tell us a bit about red baron and what it is that you do there besides aerobatic flights you do uh, flight training there i see on your website well to sort of Get back a bit to to the history of it all. I um I ended up in '94 work, you know, starting to to fly the Red Baron. I, I did that for a good what was it four four years, I think, um, three or four years before I actually decided to do my instructor rating. And and Noel needed more instructors, so you know there was a, a few of us on the course. And I really learned a lot about flying through doing the instructor rating. I'd been flying now professionally for three, three or four years, and had gained probably another thousand hours on top of what I had. And then I realised once I started it, you know, doing the instructor course, just how much I needed to learn about flying to teach flying. Um, and had I not had that prior experience of doing all that flying with passengers and and what have you and being in different situations and, you know, dealing with different controllers and dealing with uh, different weather conditions and all of these things, I kind of don't know how I would have uh, taken to instructing because it, it actually really opened my eyes. So I, le- I learned a lot from, from the course and then I went on to instruct for another couple of years for Noel at the school teaching people aerobatics and, uh, and what have you and, and uh, basic flying training. And our course involved aerobatics from lesson one. So on, if you do your GFPT, you basically learn uh, loops and rolls on your first lesson uh, and then we sort of go more into depth during the course on, on uh, those manoeuvres, but certainly by the time you graduate your GFPT, you, you've done loops, uh, aileron rolls, wingovers, uh, spinning and mishandling. And when we spin the, the robins, we do fully developed spins. So, mm. yeah, it's a, it's a really intense course and it's great fun and it, it's different and it, it keeps you sort of inspired, I think, all the way through it, uh, which, is, which made it great to teach and also great to learn at the time. Yeah, no, that sounds um, great. That's really learning by then, jumping into the deep end, isn't it? That's, uh... <laughs> yeah. So, interestingly enough, the guys that did it, the guys and girls that did it, they all came at it from a, a mindset that everyone should learn this when they're learning to fly. And what we have as well, or what we what we still teach, and what we had back then, is what we call the advanced aircraft control course. So if you if you got your license somewhere else and you wanted to fly with us, we didn't just do an aerobatic rating. We did what's called an uh, the advanced aircraft control course, where you would learn 
all the stuff that we teach during your GFPT, we we put it into a course that is basically a, an emergency manoeuvre training course, a basic aerobatic rating, uh, and a checkout in the Robin. So it's it's about a 15-hour course, but it's a lot more than, you know, just sticking you in an aeroplane for a few hours and teaching you how to loop and roll it. And quite often the, the overriding comment from people that came to us with a licence, they turn around and say, oh, well, why didn't I learn that when I learned to fly kind of thing? And so, it, you know, it was it was really nice to actually be a part of a, a an organisation, a business that had that effect on people um, that were learning to fly in, in, at various different levels. And so there was a lot of, um, it's kind of like Apple computer people, you know, they, you know, when they, <laughs> oh, they let's get on into it, they, <laughs> you know, they're advocates for it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's a diplomatic can't, term. <laughs> can't stop talking about it. The Apple army. So, yeah. And the, and the funny thing is, as well, and back then especially, because Noel was a great instructor and you know, knows a wealth about flying and aviation. But, you know, we, we kind of, the flying school kind of on and off had a reputation of being a little bit almost sort of elitist. And it wasn't that at all. I mean, it, it was really that we just, we had a particular standard that we, we were maintaining and we wanted to maintain. And that, you know, if people weren't reaching the standard, then you couldn't, you could throw money at it and time at it, but some people just couldn't do it. And, for want of a better word, you couldn't you couldn't just keep people going forever and ever if they're not getting it. And so sometimes we got sort of a, a bit of a few people would say you know things about oh you know the bunch of cowboys what have you. But it, really it was just it, we we were just doing what we were doing and, and trying to maintain a, a particular standard about it. So um, it was kind of a, a an interesting time, and I've experienced it since then as well. Since I've taken over the business, is we we get a lot of people through the door, and some people just don't want to go through the the hoops that we ask them to go through if they want to fly our aircraft. And it's not that we don't want them to; it's that they don't want to actually do it themselves. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's funny. It's funny how people sort of put their own slant on things. Well, you got you've got to have that certain level to keep people in a, and drag them up to to make sure that they're safe with the aircraft. Absolutely, and, and these are our sort of tools of trade. We're saying, yes, you can you can take out our aircraft and go out and trash it if you want, um, and we, we, give, we give you our blessing to do it, but we're not going to just sort of get you, you know, good enough to go. To go. We, we want to know that you're, you're going to bring it back and, and uh, you know, we want to be confident about it. So yeah, and that's kind of our, our, our attitude towards it. And it's not just, you know, straight and level and go a couple of 30-degree or 60-degree bank turns. You know, you're, you're really pushing the envelope. You're, you're really chucking the aircraft around and exploring. And uh, you've got you to be safe while you're doing it. Otherwise, you're just going to blow your statistics and uh, bad press. And there goes the insurance rating. Mm. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, the way I see it, in the aircraft like the Robin and, and the Alpha, which, which we operate, and the Alpha is just a, a New Zealand-built Robin, we can take you to whatever level of aerobatics you want to train to. So if you if you want to go to competition, we can now take you all the way to advanced and hopefully unlimited in the, in the future. But if you just want to go out and maybe do a loop and a roll every now and then, then you, you can do it. But yeah. We don't treat you any differently to the person that wants to go all the way through to advance. You've still got to, to um, maintain a standard all yep. along the way. And, um, and you know, once you get to, once you do the, those initial basic manoeuvres, it's 
up to you how quickly you progress and through through the um, manoeuvres and you know we sort of make it really simple and we have phase one, two and three and uh, yeah if you if you want to go all the way through to um, to competition level then then you can do that and then once you're through that you can through the robin then you can go up into the pits and then if you want to go through the pits and onto the extras uh then you know we can take you there as well so it's you know it's up to the individual but um you know we make no sort of apologies for you know saying well you can't if you come to us you can't just start flying out extra um, (laughs) even though even though you might have previous experience flying aerobatics these are yeah. our tools it's like walking into a car hire place and you know they've got a ferrari sitting there you know you can't expect to just walk in and, and jump in the ferrari and not pay a premium for that well our premium <laughs> is, is is experience and we have to assess the level yep. based on our experience of people so we take you back to the robin and we say okay fly the robin show us what you can do and uh, and so long as the hands and feet are working well enough, and you've got the the knowledge and the attitude as well, yep. then um, then you know all of our aircraft are available to to those who want to um, you know go through the poop, yep. so to speak. Now, if I if I was to go up there and uh, and uh, start flying on the Alpha, I've, I've I've flown one with a friend here in Melbourne. They've got one at Royal Vic, and we went and took that out for a oh, few yeah, basic yeah. aeros back in April. That was a lot of fun. So I, I get up, I've got my um, license, I've done you know doing the aerobatics and all that in the Alpha, and I'm ready to transition to the pits. Would the pits be my first uh, tail dragger with you guys, or do you have another aircraft to introduce people to tail draggers? Well, no, we don't. Um, and the pits was my first tail dragger. Okay. And so long, like, what what we do is we get people to a point in the alpha where they need more performance. Yeah. So uh, essentially, we, as I mentioned before, we've got the phases of aerobatics to work through. Phase one is just loops, rolls, wingovers, spinning. Phase two is hammerhead turn, barrel roll, slick roll, slow roll. Phase three is competition spin, roll off the top, half cubinate half reverse cubinate and so once you're flying all of that in the alpha you're actually yeah. really working pretty hard to make the airplane do what you want oh yeah mm. yeah there's a lot of and energy management in that one <laughs> absolutely and and we have a sequence that you, that basically is is all of those maneuvers that you've got to fly to a, a decent standard yep. before we're going yep okay you're ready to, to fly the pits and and basically it's you, you've got to not be thinking about the control inputs you're putting in to get the aeroplane to do what you want to do. Yep. So you're actually, you're just making the pictures do what they should do. So yeah. the attitudes are, are, are right and you, you're using whatever control inputs you, you need to get the aeroplane to, to uh, make the picture look right. Yep. And once you're doing that, then the pits becomes a lot a lot easier to, to get your head around because the pits flies aerobatics really easily like it, most people get in at first they're a bit ham-fisted but <laughs> after a few hours the you know you're starting to go oh, okay i don't need to put so much input in to get it to do what i want where the pits makes it a really interesting airplane is is on the landing and so again it, it comes down to not thinking about the control inputs you need to put in to get the airplane to do what you want it to do you've just got to make the picture right Yep. and not think about how much, oh, do I need more rudder or do I need more aileron or whatever. 
It's just got to, you've just got to do it instinctively. And if you can do that, then you, there's no trouble transitioning from the robin to the pits as your first tail wheel. Okay. Um, and, and that's what I did, and that's what countless people did before me, and that's what we've done with countless people since then. So can work, and, the, and then once, uh, I've got to be honest, once you can land an S2A, then you can pretty much <laughs> land any tailwheel aeroplane because oh, it's, it's got some interesting uh, ground <laughs> handling characteristics, to say the least. It and, can uh, bite. <laughs> it, it can bite, it can. But it can also do exactly what you want it to in some very trying conditions too. So, um, you know, when the southerly buster kicks in at, at Bankstown and you've got kind of no choice now but to get it on the ground, yeah. uh, you're kind of are very grateful that you've got all that extra control authority to um, to put on the ground and keep it on the ground. Yep. No, we've, uh, we've commented a few times on the fact that uh, once those southerlies kick up, there's no real runway in, uh, in Sydney area anymore that you can land on except for um, the main one over at, uh, at Sydney International. Yeah, I'm still waiting for that day where I can go, oh, I need to divert to Nascot. <laughs> land the pits on on one six left or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you'd 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 land and pull up to a complete stop in the length of the piano keys. Oh uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a bit of a southerly blowing, <laughs> I miss I missed out on the days where where you used to take you know take off from Bankstown and fly over to Mascot and go and have lunch over there or something and then fly back. Ooh. Just a bit before my time. Yeah, that was that was what seventies, early eighties. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this is Rob Mark from Jetwine.com, and you know what? When I'm really, really bored. I listen to what? What's the name of that podcast again? Um, pl- playing, playing crazy down under. Right by the the guys from the Outback. You mean the Steakhouse? Yeah, yeah, they they run the Steakhouse. I think. Oh, with the blooming onion. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's those guys. So I, on the Barbie and yeah, so Foster's. Well, I knew they were doing something. for beer. Yeah, that, those are the guys. Great podcast. Love the food too, guys. Keep up the good work. I like my medium rare. <laughs> they call that a promo? Oh dear. www.airplanegeeks.com Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we rely on the generous support of our listening audience. If you like what we do, if you enjoy our weekly attempts at infotainment, then please visit www.planecrazydownunder.com and click on the button marked Donate. Donations of any size are very much appreciated. Thanks, folks. You've spoken about how Sydney Aerobatics uh, Red Baron, you do the training, you uh, take everyone through. So what's coming up in the near future with Sydney Aerobatics? Where are you guys heading? Well, I took over about five years ago. I bought the Red Baron off Knoll first and then bought Sydney Aerobatics off him. And in, a, in an attempt to sort of simplify things, I kind of rolled them all into one and we, we became Red Baron because uh, yep. the brand is a, is a very strong brand and everyone knew Red Baron in Sydney. So I thought, oh, that might be a, a good idea from business point of view what I kind of didn't realize or I kind of knew it but I 
I probably didn't uh, appreciate it at the time was that the Sydney Aerobatic brand was also an excellent brand and a, and, and a well-known one. And so what I'm hoping to do in the future is to, to re-establish the, the Sydney Aerobatics brand. And um, I mean, people do still know it as a quality brand. And so we're just going to reintroduce it to the market. So that's coming up. We're trying, we've got a few things sort of on the boil. We've just invested in a Gippsland air van and that's kind of taking us away from our aerobatic roots a bit, but it's um, it's getting us into the, the scenic route business again. Yep. We haven't done multi-person scenic, oh, I think, for for many years, we just haven't had the aircraft, and uh, we used to back in the in the um, late nineties, we had a, a one seven two online that we used to operate, okay. and um, and that that was actually quite popular. And and I since I took over, I, I really wanted to get a multi person aircraft, and yep. uh, I ended up uh, looking at a few options, and the and the air van just seemed to have tick all the boxes. I went down to Gippsland. Uh, a few months ago, I think it was around about April, and we um, we test flew an aircraft down there, and I just I fell in love with it. I thought it was one of the best aircraft I'd flown for that particular genre, and um, you know it didn't matter if we had three people in it or seven people in it, it flew just like an Alpha. Like oh. <laughs> and, uh, huh. it was something I, I I was familiar with, and um, I couldn't believe it. It didn't didn't matter what you how you loaded this airplane. It just it felt like an easy airplane to fly. Wow! And um, and the guys down at the factory were were fantastic. They gave us a lot of time, and they really sort of worked with us to try and get this aircraft up here in Sydney. We've got yes. it on a lease at the moment, and we're we're hopefully um, my plan is to, to buy it eventually but we're about to, to launch it in early December commercially and it uh, it hopefully will will sort of open up the world of flying to, to a much larger audience because um, obviously you can stick Ma, Pa, a couple of kids, uh, yep. a cousin, a couple of mates of the kids as well. I mean you can fit seven passengers in this thing and still <laughs> have enough fuel to fly for a couple of hours so I'm pretty excited about uh, about the possibilities of making this aircraft, you know, another icon over over Sydney Harbour. Well, it does look. I've seen the photos you sent through on Twitter. It does look pretty good with the Red Baron logos up and running. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm pretty happy with the way that's turned out. Actually, so yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, to getting it uh, well known. Yeah, we'll have to have to put uh, a copy of the image in the show notes because it's yeah the aircraft's white and you've got the red bands with the uh, black crosses on it. Not every day Very you see good. a Gippsland Aer- Aeronautics uh, product painted up that way. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Very distinctive. It's cool. Cool. So, uh, yeah, no, that's a good one. I've, I mean, one classic question I've got to ask is, uh, do you have any ex- uh, plans to expand down to Melbourne, he said, hinting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's, uh, that's a very good question. I've, I've been asked that a few times, and um, I, I won't say no to anything, really. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a dreamer, and, you know, I'd like, like to have Red Baron in every city in Australia, and, you know, Mel- Melbourne's definitely been good to me. I, I go down there... Uh, for uh, Red Bull uh, every year, and I've got to say, you know, uh, I like flying down there, and every time I'm there, I get a lot of interest with the aircraft. So I think there's there's definitely a market there, and you know, I'd lo- I'd like to explore it. So I won't say it'll happen quickly, but <laughs> you never know. 
Well, hope, hopefully it happens right about the time when I've managed to resurrect my uh, savings and I'm able to say, hey, hey, I'm up because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely need to finish off all my licenses and uh, the Arrows ticket is, is something I've always said I would do as soon as I got my license. So to have it built into learning is, is just right up my alley. That's exactly what I want. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned in there about Red Bull, and I note that uh, on your marketing material, you have uh, Pit Special and the Extra painted up with Red Bull on the wings and the bull on the on the nose and so on. How did you get involved with Red Bull and what do you do with them? Well, it kind of, it started about five years ago, and as it turned out, I was living overseas at the time. I kind of, I got out of the, uh, the aviation industry um, for a short time when, the, the urge to travel overcame the urge to fly aeroplanes. Wow! Um, and and I, I and I kind of made them mutually exclusive because <laughs> I'd, I'd given up a, I'd given up a lot of my twenties and and what have you to to fly and and I kind of threw myself into to work. So I didn't really know much about the the rest of the world. So I decided I'm going to go to move to England and live over there for for. A, well, at the time it was a year, it ended up being four years, and I ended up working in the film industry over there uh, as a technician with remote camera equipment. So oh, cool. it was kind of a really obscure job, but it paid really well, and I got to travel all around Europe. So yeah, um, it kind of got me got me hooked into it for that long. And um, I bought uh, a pit uh, when I when I started working for for Noel about a year after I started flying his pit. So I had the opportunity to buy an S2A that had come onto the market. And I sort of said to Noel, you know, if I got it, could we work it in Red Baron? And he kind of went, oh, yeah, I think we could. So I went and bought it. And by the time I moved overseas, it, uh, I kind of left it uh, in Noel's care. And, and after about six months of me being away, it needed a rebag. Uh, so the fabric needed replacing on it. Oops. And uh, living over there, I was making good money, but I didn't have enough to pay to hang of the aircraft and pay the mortgage on it and also get the rebag done. So it kind of got rolled into a into a hangar and left there for three and a half years. During one of my trips back to um, Australia at, in 2004, my friend who I used to do a lot of flying with, he, uh, he and I were sort of talking over a beer going, oh, how can we get the aeroplane flying again? Yep. Um, and we decided we might sort of look at getting a sponsorship and being over in Europe at the time I, I was seeing the development of Red Bull Air Race sort of going on over there and, and I said well maybe we should go to Red Bull and he said oh yeah we could we could try that so I, I went back to England and started writing a proposal to Red Bull and in the meantime he was working on a on a commercial and uh, worked with a director who did a lot of stuff for Red Bull and uh, it turned out that Red Bull were looking for an aircraft to sponsor. So, oh, cool! Um, yeah, too this, easy. this director put uh, put us in touch with uh, the guy at Red Bull that uh, that he knew, and um, my friend actually took one flying in the in the pits in the Red Baron pits that was there, and said, and then took him around to my aeroplane and said, "Well, you know, this is." the aircraft that, that we could do and they sort of went mm, okay well, well we'll think about it and meanwhile I'm sort of chatting uh, on uh, iChat with my friend and he's going yeah yeah they're, they're keen they're interested you might have to come back soon and you know <laughs> talk to these guys and negotiate and I'm like yeah 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 anyway it was like a Friday 
afternoon and we're, we're chatting and he's like, they're really serious. I think you've got to come <laughs> back. They want to talk to you. So I'm like, uh, okay. So I actually booked a flight for that Sunday and flew back oh, wow. to Sydney. And um, we met, we put together this proposal over a few days and then met with them on the Thursday and they, they kind of negotiated us down on what we, we wanted, <laughs> but we kind of, we kind of still got what we, what we wanted in the end. We got enough money to, to get the aircraft back in the air and, and then start operating it and kind of all sort of fell into place. And next thing I knew, I, like I actually had the, the meeting with these guys and then I was in Sydney for another week until we, until we heard, because they were, they were talking to other people and uh, yeah. Tom, Tom Moon was on the list and oh, okay. a, few, a few other people. Um, but they were looking for a, for an overall package, uh, yeah. and yeah, we we were just right place, right time, aircraft. It, you know, it just kind of you know all the all the ducks lined up, and um, yeah, I I sort of got the yep, we're going to go for it answer, and um, I had to go back to England, pack up my life for four years in three <laughs> weeks. <laughs> and um, and moved back to Australia, and then we had to strip and rebuild the aeroplane in as quickly as we could. So it kind of went into overdrive, and I think I, I worked pretty much six days a week trying to get this aircraft ready to to uh, fly again. And um, yeah, kind of. Wow. Uh, it took a, it took a little bit longer than we'd hoped, and uh, but uh, I think I still think we did a complete strip. Rebuild, rebag everything in 10, 10 or twelve weeks. I think it was. Wow, um, pretty good. And uh, yeah, I mean, it looked fantastic afterwards. And and then it started. And and what was it? Three months later, we bought Red Baron off uh, off Noel, and that that was it. That saved us actually because we yeah. spent all of our money on um, on the aircraft. That uh, that we were at serious risk of going broke, and um, and then we bought Red Baron, and that got our cash flow going, and then the rest is history. We kind of went from there, and I, and then I remortgaged the aeroplane to buy the flying school, so I've actually just just paid off the pits. I've owned it for fifteen years. Oh wow. <laughs> so I've, I've, I never stopped paying it off for 15 <laughs> years up until uh, about two weeks ago. So I'm kind of, uh, it was a milestone for me, so I'm pretty happy about that. Well, that, that aircraft has definitely done you well then. Oh, it's, uh, it's earned more than its keep. Yeah. <laughs> and so now you've got an extra as well, yeah? Well, yeah, that was, um, that was another kind of, uh, it, it, well, yeah, once we started doing the Red Bull stuff, the, the pits was fine, you know, and we started doing um, displays over the beaches and everything. And um, and then we said, well, after we bought Red Baron, we got the, the, the other pits. And so we were doing the displays together. Yeah. Um, and it really created a lot of buzz and a lot of attention. And all of a sudden we were getting media were coming to us and we were, people were, would see us down at the beach and, you know, find us on the internet. And it kind of really snowballed over a couple of years and we really built the brand quite a bit cool and, uh, and and then red bull aero started the next year i think after we got it it started in perth and so yep. um, we went over there and all the guys at red bull are going oh when are you going to be in that blah blah, blah. Like, oh, you know i'm flying a pits kind of thing I'm, how am i ever gonna you know, <laughs> get get there and um the guys are all, always supportive but you know it was always you know in my mind it was always like again it was like when i was 
a, a student pilot watching the guys fly the pits. And now I felt like a student pilot again going, oh, well, these guys are flying rocket ships from, you know, and they're three to $400,000 rocket ships. <laughs> You're not you cheap. My, my pits is, is not that expensive, so I can't, I can't exactly sell it and go and buy a, a, an edge or an extra or whatever. So uh, it, was a, it was disconcerting in one respect and also, you know, gave me another challenge to work towards. Yeah, it's... And, um, yeah, then uh, we, you know, we just worked really hard to build up the, the Red Baron and we um, we finally sort of scraped enough money together to go, okay, well, you know, we could we can look at an extra now or we can look at a monoplane and we started yeah. looking around and, and until we actually started looking properly, I didn't even know they built a 200 horsepower version of the extra. <laughs> and um, and then we we sort of found one and and went well this kind of makes sense it's you know Red Bull were happy with the with the uh, with the pits if we get a, an extra two hundred it's economical to run it's literally a hundred thousand dollars US cheaper than a three hundred L yeah so hmm. you know it was kind of more affordable it was still twice the cost of a pit S two A just about. But um, it was certainly more affordable than a than a 300L at the time. So um, yeah, we found found this uh, extra and took the risk and put all, uh, all our sort of money into it and got it over. And it actually wasn't a smooth road either with that aircraft. We ended up discovering um, some months down the track that the um, one of the loads on the can was was cactus. Oops. When we got it, and um, yeah, it wasn't putting out power, and actually competed in the state champs a year prior, and it, it really just didn't seem to be putting out the horsepower that we thought it should. And when we got back from that comp, we uh, we started pulling cylinders off and found that the cam had been worn. And yeah, it was uh, a bit of a an eye opener. We ended up having to pull the engine down, bulk strip, rebuild, new cam, new. Systems. Wow! Um, yeah, just twenty thousand dollars later. Oh, ouch! <laughs> I was just like, oh, you know, this aeroplane's cost me enough as it is. <laughs> and um, yeah, it kind of was a was a bit of a bit of pill to swallow. But then when when we got it back, and uh, and I've got to say, the guys at Hawker's Engine Shop have been fantastic to us all, all along the way. They did a great job, and and now this engine really does produce great power and um and for what we do with it you know it's not it's not an edge 540 or an mxs <laughs> race guys are flying but to the people that we take flying in it they you know it, it, it is everything they need it to be and uh you know it's it, it's still got rolls at you know 360 a second and um, you know, we can do plus or minus 8g with two people or plus or minus 10g by ourselves so <sighs> Um, oh wow! You know, oh, it, it, it does everything you want it to do. <laughs> I'm drooling. I, 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 next time I'm up in Sydney, I'll have to organise a bit of time to come out and go for a fly with you, mate. Oh, definitely. You, you, you're more than welcome. I'd love yeah. to show you what it can do. Oh, God. I'd love to try and survive what you'd show me what it can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've got a few uh, video. I've got a video on YouTube that's uh, quite funny. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. But, um, yeah, and so, uh, and as I was saying, the, the um, kind of the, not 
pressure, but pressure may be the wrong word, but just the, the desire to satisfy the direction that Red Bull were, were heading and especially the Red Bull Air Race was becoming more and more popular and so people were associating Red Bull and Red Bull Air Race and that kind of flying with, with monoplanes, not biplanes. Yeah. Um, so, so we felt the, the, the need to, um, to get the extra to satisfy that part of the market and, and it's been um, pretty successful since. We put it into the Red Baron inventory and we don't actually advertise it anywhere except for, for one of our resellers. They are allowed to sell the flights in it as well. And between the two, between us and, and them directly, we're pretty much flying it all weekend. And, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, it keeps us pretty busy. Yeah, busy is good, mate. Busy is good. Well, it's, it's good to help you get ready for the next plane. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, I've, I've still got my eye on on something like a three hundred L or oh. or um, an S buck. I actually really want an, an S buck three four two certified, but um, and that might be uh, a while off. And uh, yeah, they're kind of uh, they're an all composite aircraft made in Germany. Yeah. And um, there's there's two models: the S buck three hundred and the S buck three four two. How do you spell and, that? Um, it's the um, Sierra Bravo Alpha Charlie Hotel. Okay. Oh, yeah. after, cool. Named after Philip S. Bach or Stein, Steinbeck. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think his name was. Yep. Philip Steinbach, who's okay. the uh, designer and, and um, principal of, wow. uh, of the company. And it's a uh, all-composite six-cylinder monoplane, mm-hmm. aerobatic monoplane, and I think it went from design, uh, from concept to design to flying prototype in six months. Wow, that's yeah. accelerated. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right there. And it's, win- it's winning European championships. I think he, I think he won a championship in it. Yeah, it's it's a pretty impressive aeroplane. Oh, you'd c- certainly turn a few heads if you uh, entered that into the comps with that one. Oh yeah. Yeah, if that, if that turned up here in Australia, I think it would certainly get a bit of attention. Oh, God, yeah. Well, well actually, speaking speaking of the comps, uh, we've just recently had the uh, New South Wales State Aerobatics Comps at Tamora that you were at. Is, that was just um, just under a month ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the end of October, early November, so that weekend that they crossed over. Yep. Um, and, yeah, it was a huge comp. It was like so the, the biggest one I've been to for a state championship and we had 33 competitors. Um, wow. We had all grades from graduate through to unlimited and, nice. yeah, it was a, a, an amazing competition. Well, that, now, all those 33 entrants were from New South Wales or were there people from others coming along to have a fly but not partake in the final, you know, like trophy awards? No, no, no. We had competitors from um, Victoria, Queensland, and Western Australia and South Australia. And they're allowed. They're allowed to win in the New South Wales comps. Unfortunately, we can't exclude them. But yes, they <laughs> they, 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 they could certainly come. And likewise, we can go to their championships and, and, try, and try and steal their trophies. But uh, well, that's yeah. just not on. I mean, <laughs> uh, they, they they do very well. In fact, I believe some Victorians took out uh, quite a few of the placings along the yeah. way. Dave Pilkington yeah. was on the way. I know I've, I'm, I'm on the Ozero's mailing list. I lurk on that. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I had been emailing to Dave about possibly getting a flight up with some folks and all that, but it, we had a few things on the weekend before, so I just wasn't able to do 
both things, unfortunately. But right. uh, we'll definitely keep it in the in the cards to get to the next ones because it sounds like a great time. Yeah, I mean this comp was really good. We got we got great weather. We did I think 110 flights were launched over wow. three days, and um, yeah, it, it really was a, a great comp. And I take my hat off to um, Grant Piper. Yep. who uh, is the president of the New South Wales Club, and he's put in a huge effort over the last couple of years with the New South Wales Club to uh, to build it up and to run this comp, and he and his wife um, helped out, and it just, it, it's hard work running these comps. Oh, yeah. And, um, and they did a, a fantastic job, and the weather was kind to us in, in many respects. It was flyable and clear, but it was hot. We, we had 30-plus 30, 30 degree days. And, oh, wow. Mm. Um, you know, when you're getting in these bubble canopy yep. aircraft, you, you just sweat it up. Once the canopy goes down to start the engine, you can't taxi with the canopy open. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, I, I think I looked at my temperature gauge in the cockpit a couple of times, uh, and it was hovering around the, the 40, 45 to 45 oh, wow. degrees in the cockpit. That's, so that's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's <We're>, hot. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, when... When I went flying with Andrew in the Yak, uh, yeah, we could at least it's a it's tandem in line with a sliding canopy. So yeah, we could totally uh, taxi and even fly with the canopy fully open. But uh, most of the time, we just had it. Uh, there's a, a partial notch where you got it a few inches open, and uh, that was so good because it was it was a very warm day that day as well. But uh, we could at least pop the canopy a bit and get some airflow through. Yeah, well, in the pits, I love flying the pits. In well, I, I, I can't say I love it when it's really hot, but um, uh, I, I prefer it where you, when you, you know on the ground at least you can slide the canopy back and taxi around, and the yeah. passengers got you know open cockpit. And then when you're airborne, you do get a lot of airflow through that front cockpit, which sort of keeps the the temperature down a bit. And um, interestingly, <laughs> today. There was this massive inversion layer over Sydney, and um, oh, wow. I, I was over over the harbour at fifteen hundred feet. It was probably around about thirty something degrees at fifteen hundred feet, and then I dropped down to five hundred feet along the coast, and it dropped about ten degrees at five hundred feet. It was actually wow. cool. And then got up to Broken Bay, climbed up again, went through a thousand feet, and the temperature went up again ten degrees, and I was just like, oh, yeah. it's actually better to be really low uh, today than up high. Yeah, we get that. Wanna, yeah, we do get that a fair bit down here in Melbourne as well. Um, you'll be climbing up and you'll get through a bit of a bump, and that's the the inversions in Melbourne and the the decoupling of some of the weather that's going on is is what makes it possible for us to fly as often as we do in the balloons uh, because yeah. it's still still down the bottom, and we're able to have a reasonably good flight while it can be pretty vicious above. Was there anything else you wanted to say on the comp? I was just going to say um, that uh, uh, I'm. I'm just started competing in advance now in the uh, both state and national championships. So, and I'm just trying to work my work my way up the levels. And you know, when you see the guys uh, air racing, they've all had to go through unlimited at yep. an international level, yep. at an international or European championship, yep. and get in the top 50 before they can be considered to uh, to go to rookie camp for Red Bull Air Race. So. It's it's not an easy road to get to to where they are. So um, yeah. you know you've got to take the, your hat off to these guys. They're 
are at the top of their game and, um, you know, they, they've worked hard to get there. You know, no one got a free ride. That much is certain. Uh, well, cool. Joel, we've, uh, we've, we've certainly taken up a huge amount of your time. We, we really do appreciate it. I've got to tell you, I love these interviews where I can just sit back and let everybody else talk and just <laughs> soak it all in. It's really cool. Uh, cool. Folks, well, uh, have a look at uh, Joel's website. It's uh, www.redbaron.com.au and uh, he's got all sorts of uh, really cool-looking packages there where he can take you up and tour you around, um, show you the sights of Sydney from a really unique perspective and I'm sure he'd be happy to look after you uh, if you were to uh, book a flight with him. Yeah, I'd, uh, you know, if, any, if anyone's got any questions about aerobatics or, or anything like that, we're, we're more than happy to, uh, to answer their question. Cool. Excellent. Okay. All right, well, uh, we'd better let and you... follow me uh, on Twitter, Red Baron Sydney. Yep. Red Baron yeah, Sydney, we go. I'll have that in the show notes. I'll have a link to your website, a link to your Twitter, and uh, where possible, I'll... Uh, actually, if you've got a couple of photos that you want me to chuck up on there of, um, you know, the new, the new GA the Gippsland um, air van and anything else, uh, feel free to send them to, through to me and I'll pop them up there. No worries. Cool. Excellent. Awesome. Joel Haskey, thanks very much for joining us here on the show tonight. No worries. Thanks, guys. Um, doing a great job on the podcast and um, really grateful and happy to be a part of it. Thank you. Excellent. Mate. Thanks, Joel. Cheers. Well, there you go, mate. Another fascinating interview with another fascinating character. Uh, you know, the thing that I really love about doing these sorts of interviews as opposed to our uh, news shows is meeting people like this who have such an obvious passion for what they do. It, it really shows through, and I'm sure that would flow through to all these business dealings and activities during the day-to-day running of Red Baron up there with having such a keen interest in not only just making doing it to make money, but uh, doing something that he actually loves doing. Yeah, no, that is very important, having the passion. I know for myself, uh, when the passion goes out of what you're doing, you just, you still do you know, you're doing a good job, but you're not. There's no way that you're doing your peak, and you're not in the zone. You're not doing a, a great job. It does show through that you're you're just doing a job. And uh, when you get those people with passion, it it really does make a difference, and it really is obvious. It's great to see. I mean, the other good thing about these these sessions is just what we get to learn. I mean, yeah, the new sessions and discussions are fun, but. It's when we have these these sessions with other people that, um, yeah, I feel like I'm really learning something about uh, various op- occupations, uh, histories, and things like that. It's great. I'll tell you what, mate, we're going to have to cash in uh, bulk amounts of frequent flyer points at some stage and get up there to Sydney and uh, meet Joel in person, and uh, one of us at least. Whichever one of us is brave enough is probably going to be you. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so hanging to get up there and go for a fang in that extra. Oh, yeah. yeah. Life, life is so much better inverted. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll take any aerobatics right i can get mate <laughs> hi there roulettes and um rwff18s hi yet yeah, did you hear that any aerobatics right i can get thank you you know we've got a roulettes business card now mate so we are in yeah i know i'll be contacting them very soon now <laughs> but uh, i like how uh, towards the end he was talking about red bull and all that and that's a pretty good segue for some of our uh, episodes coming up where uh, we've got a bit of a red bull special coming up you may be surprised at what we managed to get away with so uh, watch this space for that one yep some more news to follow on that as it comes to hand. Let's just say I'm really excited about about it, the opportunity that we've got here, and it's uh, it's all just right place, right time, and uh, yeah, it's all coming together. Hmm. It's nice when our schedules actually work out for a change, mate, isn't it? You know. Yeah, well, when we're not having to record at midnight because that's the only time the two of us can be in front of a microphone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for another episode, isn't it? Yep, that just about wraps it up, mate. It's uh, it's been another fascinating one. Uh, we'll probably get back to our news format next week. I think it's pretty safe to say that an episode comes out when it's ready and uh, usually it's weekly sometimes it's even more sometimes it's less but uh, we're having a lot of fun producing them and uh, it looks like everyone's enjoying listening to them uh, so thanks
thanks to everyone who's out there and giving us some feedback. We really love hearing it. Yep, and that email address, of course, Grant, is plancrazydownunder at gmail.com. Yep, you can also tweet us. We're PCDU on Twitter. You can uh, follow us on Facebook. We've got a fan page there. And you can even see our video channel on YouTube. Our website, of course, folks, is www.plancrazydownunder.com. Uh, check that out there. It's been recently updated with some uh, with an About Us page on it now and some hints on recording with us if you feel like you'd like to do that sometime. And, of course, a very comprehensive list of show notes with links to everything that we talk about here on the show each week. Yep, and there's going to, once again, to give you a teaser, there's going to be some new pieces coming in there. We're uh, putting some new content up in a couple of different areas and we'll release that when it's ready. But meanwhile, you can also, if you've listened to all of our episodes, twice, of course, you can uh, go and have a look at the uh, places we like to go section, the links, and uh, see a number of other podcasts we listen to. We haven't loaded everything in there yet, but we're in the process of updating that. So uh, hopefully that'll uh, help keep you folks entertained while you're waiting for our next episode. Yeah, folks, feel free to browse all those sites and check them out. But whilst you're doing that, always remember this. It's what's down under that counts. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Thanks, folks.